Hey guys, Michael here, and I'm back to break down episode eight of Lego Masters on my podcast, Talk Bricks Masters. And while probably not a surprise to most, is the only Lego Masters podcast that's been hosted by a puppet all along. I can't wait to jump into this episode, just like I jump into all the Lego news weekly on my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks. And don't forget to subscribe because the next podcast in your feed will be my exit interview with the team that went home on this episode. So with that all out of the way, let's jump into it. Well, that was another really fun episode. Certainly, you know, every episode, they're putting on a show, but especially this one, it really felt that way. And of course, I had to bring in some experts to help us break down another episode, making his podcast debut, season one contestant, Aaron Newman, and back again this week, Tyler Kleitz. Say hello to everyone on the podcast. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. Glad to be back. Well, perfect. Aaron, you know, I, I feel like everyone has been waiting, anticipating your, you know, premiere on the podcast. So we're super excited to have you. Um, but correct us if I'm wrong, you come from like a theater background. So some of this performing aspect certainly feels within your expertise, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. You know, yeah, you, you remember correctly. I happen to have gone uh, to school for theater. I thought I was going to be an actor for a while there. Um, happened to even take a class in puppetry while I was in college. So some of these, these, uh, these puppet moments resonated with me in a whole other way. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, I mean, you know, already for Lego masters, they're casting people who have that performative side to them, whether or not that's trained or even conscious on the participants part you know, they're not going to be able to cast Lego builders who aren't going to sing on screen or kind of have that performative edge to them. And I guess this this episode, they really pushed that to the max. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you guys did a lot of storytelling on your on your season, maybe even more so than they're doing in this season with all the more technical builds. But, you know, yeah. Tyler, you know, is this something that you were you were itching to do to get a chance to perform in this way on your season? <sighs> I, I would have loved to do this challenge more than any other challenge we have seen on either season. Like I feel like this this is the challenge that I would have I would have I'd have killed to to have. Yeah, <laughs> it was a cool one for sure. I feel like I mean what Michael just said. There's so many more technical challenges on on season two. Uh, this is actually something I talked with um, the season two contestants a bunch about when I saw them at Brick Fair. They were I was saying to them I was like I wish we had all these technical challenges. They look so cool. You guys are doing some crazy <laughs> stuff. And they were all to us like, we wish we'd had more storytelling challenges because we got none of those. So, you know, I think the show is still finding its balance there, but they definitely get to do some cool stuff. And this week was a really awesome challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because one of the other things I noticed this season is that there hasn't really been like a mid episode twist. I feel like that was like the the story mechanic on your season is that every episode there was some sort of mid episode twist. Stop the presses, stop the building. And, you know, it looks like, you know, from the trailer for next episode, we're going to get maybe our first mid episode twist. But I found I find mm -hmm. that that's another funny departure uh, season to season. But I think, you know, talking about just this episode in general, you know, Aaron, what were what was your thoughts? I mean, like high level takeaways of this puppet themed episode. Yeah, it was it was really cool to watch. I as soon as I saw the next week on the, during the previous episode about this, I was really excited because this is a challenge that I've never seen done in Lego Masters before, not just obviously on our season, but also in any of the international variants that are out there. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Lego Masters Australia show and a lot of the challenges that we've had on the US have been done in Australia before um, to oftentimes great success, which is why they bring them back. But this puppet building challenge was something we'd never seen before. So I was really excited to get to see what happened with it. And I was pleasantly surprised, I think, 
with the the level of execution across the board. Not that our teams that are left are not talented, all of them extremely are, but this is an incredibly hard thing to build. Um, a lot of technical know-how had to go into these puppets. And I think, um, you know, we were able to see some really incredible, moving, dynamic character builds. I know Tyler said he is, would have died to do this episode because this guy's all about characters. And we really saw a lot of vibrancy and life um, from every team's character, which I loved. Um, it was it was a really enjoyable episode to watch. I think the uh, the the Will Puppet was also one of the better um, <laughs> gags uh, that they've introduced into an episode because a lot of times they're kind of hackneyed and kind of uh, unrelated, uh, you know, weird Fox show tie-ins and things like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I understand why they put them there, but it doesn't really make sense. And this one did, and it was, I actually kind of enjoyed it and found myself. I, yeah, I would take, I would take a Muppet host any day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Will, but man, this, this puppet was great. Yeah. Yes. Well, Will Puppet, you know, to those who may be less initiated, was actually um, the puppeteer behind it is Steve Whitmire, who's actually like an incredibly well-known and accomplished puppeteer. He was the long, long time replacement for Kermit after Jim Henson passed away. So, I mean, this isn't like just some Joe Schmo off the street. I mean, this is an incredibly accomplished, uh, you know, a performer and actor and all that sort of stuff. So it was very, very exciting. And I, I do like that, it, that Will Puppet was not just like puppet Will, like evil Will is like just another version mm -hmm. of Will. I did like that. It was sort of like the um, kind of like the Vegas costume character, you know, street performer version of Will. Yeah. It's kind of like more like, hey, I'm Will Arnett, you know, take me <laughs> seriously. You know, so I thought that was just hilarious. Yeah, the, I appreciated all the the um, cinematography, for lack of a better word, as well, how they kept they kept cropping on Will Puppet consistent through the whole show. So we never really saw the person and that character came to life, you know, like a, like a real Muppet would. Um, I yeah, I, I thought that was fun and funny. Um, my wife yeah. hates puppets, but I kind of <laughs> liked it. So same, same here. <laughs> same here. Amy doesn't like Muppets or puppets either. So that's so weird. I don't know oh, what that's it is. That's so funny. I, I, well, love, I love Muppets. So this was super exciting for me. Um, you know, and one of the things that I really loved about it too was the puppet theater itself. Um, a lot of these large scale, you know, kind of set piece builds, I feel like we don't often get to focus on as much, but I really thought that the actual puppet theater was incredibly intricate. If you're a Lego fan, I sort of noticed that the flowers on the sides were more like those old school Lego flowers, like like enlarged. So I feel like uh, there's a little bit of something for everyone with that one. But I think sometimes these set pieces go overlooked and I wasn't going to let that happen this time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the team behind those set pieces, I mean, it's just like you say that the puppet master who was um, operating Will Puppet is like world class puppeteer. In the same vein, they're getting the best of the best. They're getting like Nathan Sawaya and his team to do these builds that are basically just set dressing, which is completely absurd because I have no <laughs> idea what Nathan charges, but I'm sure it's much more than I'm willing to guess. Um, and they're still, I mean, they're, they're, they're paying for the best. And it is a shame that those, those builds sometimes do just have that one impression, one, you know, frame here or there. And they are really are art pieces in their own right. Absolutely. I mean, coming from a performance background, you know, sometimes sets that look really great are made out of incredibly cheap you know, Luan wood and other things that are incredibly non-expensive. And so considering how expensive Lego brick is, um, mm -hmm. you know, to make even a flat, you know, <laughs> environment here was not cheap, just, you know, whether it's the artist or the brick alone. So yeah, that was yeah. A, a lot of fun. But Tyler, you know, you know, it's a puppet themed competition. Maybe you're finally going to get your chance. It was, let's say they did this in season one. 
you know, what character would jump out to you as, as you know, when you heard the challenge, where does your mind go? Oh gosh, I, that's the hard part is because they were given this open-ended thing. Like they could create any character they want. I, I honestly haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but uh, I guess my initial impressions after seeing the, the first uh, little teaser trailer that we got at the end of last episode uh, was I wanted to see uh, an alligator, and I maybe it was the 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 influence of seeing Mark and Stevens creation. But as a Floridian, I was like, oh man, doing some big gator would be really <laughs> fun. Big old chomping mouth, and uh, I think that would be really fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was interesting. I, you know, nobody took like a non like humanoid character. I mean, I, certainly the dragon you know, is, is, um, it's not a human, but it still st stood upright. It had arms that moved conventionally, those sort of things. And part of me felt like maybe there would have been something cool to, I don't know where my head was going was a large fish. Um, if you've ever been to Disney world and animal kingdom, they have a really fantastic finding Nemo, the musical that has amazing puppets. And I was thinking about the Nemo, you know, and Marlin puppets from that show, which, uh, you know, then you can have the tail move and create a lot of movement without a lot of with maybe less complication in some ways than some of the mechanics that they had to do. But Aaron, you know, what would jump out for you? Oh my gosh. Well, um, I, you know, thinking back to my, where I was, I guess, seeing the preview for the very first impression of this challenge, I think probably, I mean, the thing about Lego Masters, when you're on the show, you have to make split second decisions, unless sure. you're Tyler and Amy and spend an hour planning. But <laughs> a lot of us will make those split second decisions and I feel like Christian and I probably would have gone for some kind of humanoid character because that's where my brain went first. And I feel like a lot of the teams think, oh, this is a talking character, so it should be some kind of person, which is an understandable thought. And we've got amazing diversity of different techniques and shapes and types of people in the puppets. But I really love that idea of doing something more like, uh, you know, to, to be theatrical, do something more like a Lion King puppet or a um, Warhorse puppet rather than a Avenue Q puppet. Um, that's a thought that didn't even cross my mind until you said something. But if a team had done that and done it well, I think that would have really set them above the competition to do something that was more, um, I guess, lifelike than just kind of a hand puppet. But on the other hand, you saw how much these teams had to cram in functional building and they only had 10 hours. I mean, that would have been an incredibly hard thing to do more than just kind of a sock puppet style thing, which, you know, to execute on the script, you needed to have that. Um, and then the yeah. rest was just set dressing. No, I think you make an excellent point. I mean, one of the things that's sort of gone a little bit unnoticed as well is, is how short a lot of these challenges actually have been. I think on your yeah. season, there was a lot more 12 hour, 14 hour, you Absolutely. know, kind of, cr you know, cranking up their challenges. And, you know, we've had eight hour, 10 hour, you know, multiple weeks um, this season. So yeah, it's been really impressive. But there's a lot of inherent challenges when it comes to building puppets out of Lego brick. And they talked a lot about them. You know, for instance, you know, fabric is so intrinsic to making puppets and has often really created the character. So, for instance, um, Kermit the Frog, you know, like you said, is more like a sock puppet. And it, you're actually seeing Jim Henson's hand create the structure of the face versus the fabric right. itself creating any sort of structure. So, yeah, there's a lot of different challenges that sort of come to mind here. But when it comes to the most obvious challenge, I think whatever the mechanic, the mechanism to open and close the mouth really was probably the make or break for a lot of teams. And we saw a lot of them approach it different ways. Um, you know, yeah. but, you know, Tyler, you know, when you're thinking about some of the inherent challenges going into something like this, you know, where does your mind go? Yeah. So the biggest thing, like they were mentioning on the show is just having all the facial features moving. So there's a lot of 
challenges based on what you want to do. I mean, if you want eyebrows to move, well, you're going to have to design a mechanic for that. You're going to have to have a moving mouth. There's going to be a separate mechanic for that. Um, if you want Unless eyes, Zach and Wayne, they, they did the two together. This that is true, but there's really still smart. separate mechanics that are linked all together. Um, and like, just there's a lot that has to go on inside the the brain of these characters. It's 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 almost like a, a ventriloquist doll more than a, a hand puppet in a lot of ways, just because they're having all the mechanics be uh, moving a rigid structure like we see with a lot of ventriloquist dummies and things. No, right. I, I think that's an excellent point. So why don't we then jump into the actual, you know, the challenge and the build itself, um, the build phase itself. So, you know, the challenge here was to build a puppet and they not only had to focus on creating a unique personality, but also have at least one movable feature to set them apart from the rest. And Amy went on to say that you want to create a lovable and original character with lots of personality and impressions and sorry, expressions, you know, and when I think back to how you create like a, a connection with a character, I do think a lot about Pixar and, you know, the work that they do to create characters. And what came to mind for me was they talked about Wally, how Wally is a character that's kind of a rigid character, but it's so lovable. And a lot of that came, came down to the eyes, uh, the way that they're mm. shaped, how big they are. It sort of really creates that sort of connection. Um, and so that was something that came to me. But I guess, Aaron, you know, what stood out to you in terms of creating a connection with an inanimate Lego object? <laughs> yeah, to me, the teams that were most successful in getting a character to come to life, it's interesting you bring up Wally and the eyes, but I think the teams that gave animation to the eyes, uh, Zach and Wayne with the eyebrows that tilted, um, Mark and Steven with the eyebrows that lifted, and um, Caleb and Jacob with the eyes that rolled. I mean, those characters, there was a whole nother level of life to them. I mean, you look at, um, uh, say, uh, the, gosh, um, what, was the, what was the dog's name? Um, Hazel. <laughs> Hazel, Hazel, the beautiful Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. So cute, but there was sort of a, a little bit of a dead in the eyes kind of thing going on there. You know, it didn't have that, that next level of life to it, which we saw in those characters that did have the eyes moving. So for me, that was the biggest, you know, lifelike um, bringing technique. The other one that I really loved was Dave and Richard, um, the hair on their puppet, how that moved so organically, because of course they were using string elements for the dreadlocks. I mean, it's a perfect part use there and it really gave their piece so much more dynamic life. Um, I mean, in general, those two have been really good about using motion in their builds and this was this was no exception. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about it on previous episodes, but you know, that is also like a, a puppet related mechanic too. You know, Jim Henson calls that sympathetic motion. So essentially when you get like a free bonus movement without having to create a mechanism for it. So, you know, just by shaking the head, mm -hmm. the strings are also going to move. So yeah, really great call out there. So, you know, one of the things that was interesting for this challenge, and both of you have a lot of experience with this as you guys were partnered up in your good versus evil challenge. So they had to partner up, at, you know, for this challenge as well. And we saw the teams take some different strategies for picking their partner. Um, you know, obviously, most notably, Mark and Steven paired up with Caleb and Jacob, their arch nemeses in the competition, kind of a keeping your friends close and your enemies closer approach. You know, I know, you know, there was uh, maybe fewer choices when it came to your round because there's only four teams versus six teams. But, you know, what do you think goes through your mind here when you're trying to pick uh, or get the most out of this challenge in particular? And and what, what do you think would make a good partner team for this challenge? Uh, you know, we, we got partnered up by the show. And, you know, uh, we got we got partnered with Tyler and Amy and those were some formidable competitors and their build was so strong that it made our build look weaker in a lot of ways. And so 
I mean, Christian and I went home that week. Obviously, we didn't do everything right that challenge. Um, but having having a strong teammate can be a blessing and a curse because on the one hand, you want to have someone you're really good to collaborate with and who can bring out the best in you and challenge you to do better. But on the other hand, if you're directly compared to someone who's really, really strong, you know, that might come and bite you at the end of the day too. It's, it's a hard thing. I honestly am glad they didn't make us choose because I don't know what would have gone through my head in that in that moment. Um, they, they did the choosing for us. That was almost easier. Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure I knew that. Um, I, I, I th- feel like I always thought that they, um, oh no, actually, no, it's, I, it's a lie. In the intro, they paired you guys up. So I should have remembered that. But no, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing. We saw certainly Michelle and Natalie pair up with Brian and Lauren really because of their friendship, like a genuine friendship. Like it'd be better to just at least have fun with a friend, you know, versus try to challenge yourself working with someone you are less familiar with. And then the final team, of course, is like the marriage of convenience, aka Dave and Richard and Zach and Wayne. There's nobody left. You know, at that point, uh, you know, everybody had picked uh, each other. But listen, those are two incredibly strong teams. So, uh, you know, no one's uh, like the last picked on the softball team here. I mean, this, these are like the cream of the crop, you know, competitors when it comes to this competition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was really interesting. You know, one of the things that we didn't get a lot of context on was that they, they were going to play out a scene and they had to pick roles and the like. And, and I'm curious to get your thoughts about that one, Aaron, you know, coming from a performance background, you know, oftentimes you are paired up with scene partners. You have to decide like, oh, am I going to be the, this role? Or am I going to be the, that role? You know, m- you know, man one, mm-hmm. man two. And there's a lot of like interpersonal politicking um, and funny personalities, I think, in theater when, when it comes to this sort of stuff. But uh, I guess like, you know, if you, if you were trying to be opportunistic in this challenge, do you think you'd try to take, you know, would you be looking for something in the role that you took here? Well, my guess based on context clues and based on the experience of having been on the show is that they gave all three sets of teams a generic Mad Lib style script that they all had to perform. There's probably character A and character B. They get to fill in the blank with verbs, nouns that were applicable to the characters they ended up choosing. But the general format of the script was probably the same across the board. Um, And then they picked and chose the best moments of that longer script to show us on the screen to, you know, get that enjoyable experience for the audience. Um, So I'm guessing that the script itself was probably pretty bare bones. And likely, um, you know, there was a lot of room for interpretation and you could make whatever, you could make character A sing or character B sing is my guess. But there were also some moments where like, I think Natalie and Michelle were like, well, this character is written to come in whistling and our character is a singer. So of course we should be that one. I really don't know to what extent they were given a form script versus given the ability to, you know, ad lib or improv a little bit. But for legal reasons, the show has a strong incentive to make sure that every team is on equal footing. So no one can sue them later for being at a disadvantage. So my <laughs> guess is that probably the scripts were very generic, open um, to some interpretation, but also just like giving everyone the same shot. I don't know if there was necessarily a situation where you could be like, this is the better role. I want to take that and argue about it. Um, you know, versus some other shows I'm thinking about like RuPaul's Drag Race, where all of the roles are written explicitly ahead of time. And then it is much more about well, what's a better fit for me? Should I want this part? Someone else wants this part. If I get this part, maybe I'll be judged better. It's a different format, I think, than sure. the Masters where they want to give everyone kind of the, the same uh, starting line and then you can kind of take it from there. Yeah, no, I definitely think there was an improv type component to it, um, especially to show off those unique skills. So, you know, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. But why don't we jump into just some of the teams during the build phase? So let's start with Michelle and Natalie and Lauren and Brian. And the interesting thing, you know, for Michelle and Natalie in this was about 
you know, sculpting, you know, kind of uniquely for the first time, building those mechanisms. But the other piece that was, I think, maybe first surfaced here was, did we go too big? You know, is, you know, Betty going to be too heavy? And, you know, you want to do it, you know, in a sturdy way, but then, you know, the more you create interlocking bricks, it's very sturdy, but more bricks means more weight. So Tyler, like, you know, I think you were really good at creating some of these large characters. I'm thinking most specifically about the carrot in the story challenge, you know, where I, I feel like it was kind of a studs out technique. You know, what, what would you be thinking about in terms of trying to make it sturdy, but also light? Yeah, that's really tricky uh, just because it's not something that's going to be sitting on a table. Like that's one thing to build something that has to just sit there and balance uh, and nobody touches it. But you have to actually be moving it around and manipulating it. And, you know, as we know from Muppets, you know, there's a lot of flailing of, of movement going on. <laughs> So, uh, gosh, there would be a lot of uh, testing to see how strong these things are, but also be lightweight enough that you could flail them around and have them hold up. So, yeah, I would have been probably trying to do some of those similar like studs out techniques, but keep the internal structure as light and open as possible so that I could be putting, uh, you know, mechanisms or my hand inside of this character somehow. It seems to me that the teams that were most successful in terms of getting a puppet that was manageable and handleable started from the core and worked their way out, started with the functions, maybe a technic structure, and then they found ways to clad that or skin that versus I think, um, you know, Natalie and Michelle it seemed like they were almost working from the outside in. They had this amazing external facet of their grandma. They knew we wanted curlers and the dress and the, you know, the mouth to look like this. Um, I mean, I don't, I can't speak to their process because we really don't get to see a lot of that <laughs> on the show. But compared to someone like, you know, Zach and Wayne, who you see with the little, you know, trigger mouth very early on in the challenge, um, starting from that 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 place of um, function. That leads to form. It seems like Natalie and Michelle maybe led more from a place of form and trying to add function later, um, yeah. which I think is one of the reasons why they ended up with something that was so large because they thought, well, this is going to be a really nice, impressive head, and then maybe didn't um, necessarily have the ability to add all the infrastructure later to make it do what they wanted. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, similarly, if we're talking about their pairing with Brian and Lauren, you know, I think that they had a similar approach to your point where you know, bigger you know, they said during part of it, it was bigger than the other builds. And, you know, they, I think it was to your point, creating that the right shaping. And I think sometimes, especially when you're trying to create round shaping, it's easy to sort of throw bricks at the problem because you're like, oh, it needs a little bit more here. Okay, now the curve's not right. So I have to add a little bit more here. Um, you know, and so because this was such a sculptural challenge, I think that that probably is what gets you a little bit carried away. And part of me wonders if everyone needed a teammate like yours, Aaron, with Christian, with the giant, you know, muscles to be able to just hold it. I feel like <laughs> it would have been really useful in this challenge. That's for sure. Let me <laughs> yeah. do the little finicky motions and he, he'll do the brute force of holding the whole thing up. I mean, yeah, that would have been killer. I have exactly. a feeling that uh, he would have done a great voice too, and that y'all had like some weightlifter character. Or oh something. my God. See, there you go. It's perfect. <laughs> it's genius. We would have done the perfect, like, you know, beefy gym guy. And I would have loved that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, brick sculpting in a sculpting challenge, a lot of times brick sculpting might be a great way to go. I mean, think about something like the cut in half challenge in our season, which was also stated to be a sculpting challenge. Um, a lot of teams did that brick sculpting, you know, um, and ended up in a really good place as a result because it's easy to get large, impressive shapes. You know, Robbie the Roctopus, for instance, Melon Germain's build was a brick built sculpting piece, and that was very impressive. Um, but for the puppet, 
it's it's not going to work out as well because bricks are larger and heftier and harder to you know it's like you say they're they're kind of uh you can keep adding bricks to the problem and if you have to maneuver and move the thing that's only going to get in your way um, well i think yeah. you know that that type of brick sculpting that you're talking about is also a very different scale um as yeah. well like you, it, the characters that or the the teams that built characters with that type of brick sculpting uh ended up with those larger characters and I think, you know, I wonder if that's just a byproduct of the show, always wanting everybody to go big. And they gave them a challenge where big wasn't necessarily what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we see that with, uh, you know, uh, Mark and Steven building a much smaller character, same with uh, Dave and Richard. And I think those were some of the best characters because they focused on the small details uh, rather than that Absolutely. big uh, thing getting, I guess, caught up in the, the the bigness that the show is necessarily asking for. I feel like this, yeah. this is one of the only challenges I've seen where that that really, the smallness was rewarded, you mm-hmm. know, because they economized their time rather than going big. They went, you know, um, uh, detail-oriented and deft with their execution. Um, compare that to, say, again, our sculpting challenge. Um, Christian and I built something that was much more like what Mark and Steven did, where it was small and detail-oriented. And then the, you know, the criticism that we got was that it wasn't big enough. So in almost every case, I think that brick sculpting technique is going to be your friend on Lego Masters. This was the unique challenge where I think that was, that was kind of some team's detriment. Yeah. Um, and as like Tyler says, I mean, with bricks, the size of the quote unquote pixel that you're working with is much larger. So it's harder to get that level of detail and finesse using bricks than something like plates where the size of the pixel is one stud, which is slightly smaller and you know it's also just much easier to get those curves in a smaller scale with uh with plates than bricks no i mean excellent points all around um you know i think that the bricks the brick sculpting is also perfect for those challenges where you really got to throw something together quickly um you know and maybe that was you know kind of the factor here was you got 10 hours stick with a tactic that you know really well and just you know throw the bricks together i think Mm -hmm. about like the make and shake challenge those buildings you know jamie was talking about your bricks per hour you better be using bricks. Like you better be using two by fours, two by sixes, those sort of things, because you've got to throw up a mass of bricks in just a time mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have if you were, went with anything smaller to create that sort of detail. Um, you know, but kind of in a, on the flip side where Michelle and Natalie and Lauren and Brian were kind of more, had more sculptural size related issues. You know, the interesting thing was about Dave and Richard and Zach and Wayne, which was a little bit more, how many functions can we put into a build? I feel like Zach and Wayne, you know, they're such like technical executors. You know, I, I always think it's Zach, but maybe I shouldn't give uh, Wayne zero credit here. But, you know, the way that they had that mechanism thrown together so quickly uh, was just so impressive. And then the other kind of funny thing was they used it as an intimidation tactic and they brought it around to all the tables. And part of me feels like, um, you know, you and uh, uh, Christian, Aaron, you know, would sometimes get into that back and forth with Mel and Jermaine with the, the competitiveness. So I, I feel like you probably have to appreciate the move. Well, I think uh, Zach and Wayne are competitors and they know it. And <laughs> that's, I mean, you know, with the fencing and the archery and all that stuff, I mean, that's the lifestyle that they're coming from. And like, you know, bringing that edge, bringing that um, sophistication and showing it off, I guess, so to speak, that's, that is kind of a strategy. Um, what it really comes down to for whether you can execute that kind of function or not it comes down to all the work that you do before the show, whether you have that experience and that vocabulary of functions going into the challenge. Because when you only have 10 hours, there's not time to invent. You have to pull from what you know, you know, in a lot of ways. And if you haven't had the experience building technique functions like that before, it's going to be much harder to implement them versus Zach and Wayne. It seems like they have a whole 
encyclopedia of, of uh, <laughs> techniques in their back pocket. I don't know to what extent they trained in advance of the show, but based on the fact that they're sports people, I'm guessing they did, you know, train and prepare in that way um, because the, the arsenal that they have of those techniques and the way they're able to pull them out so quickly uh, is very impressive. And I think that yeah. speaks to their preparation before the show as well. No, I mean, excellent points. And it's something that really hasn't come up on the podcast yet to your point about their competitive background. And I do find it like a very funny because something we have talked about is how each episode, I feel like Zach and Wayne have some additional hobby that we've never heard of. Um, <laughs> you know, we've heard of archery multiple times, but also, you know, sushi making and now and now fencing, um, you know, to feel like, uh, you know, Wayne is like such a I feel like a renaissance man here where he's like, yeah. you know, he's a uh, he's ready to you know rescue the princess from the tower. Uh, you know, like he's got all the necessary skills to, you know, princess bride or, you know, Robin Hood this up. So I always find that very funny with the two of them. Um, you know, but the other thing that I do like about both of these teams specifically is that they really did t try to tie it back to their, to who they are, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, their character, Zach and Wayne was Wayne. And in a lot of ways, Dave and Richard's character very specifically was Richard. Um, you know, but Tyler, you know, what do you think about just how people are able to put a lot of themselves into the builds? Yeah, that was something that we didn't necessarily do on the show a whole lot. Um, we did in some cases, but I, I've, feel like there's much more of a push to do that this season uh, where I, I imagine the production is asking them to, you know, put yourself into these builds and use that as inspiration. And I, I really think that's cool because we, we really get to, you know, learn a lot more about these characters. You know, like you just mentioned, we get to learn about all these cool hobbies that, uh, you know, Zach and Wayne have on the side. And uh, it's, it's really a kind of a nice feature to the show to have these elements in the builds. And it's, it's cool to see how these come out and how different teams choose to infuse their personal life into these builds. I feel yeah. like they, they learned from our season what they wanted more of. And I think one of the things they definitely decided they wanted more of was the backstory, the personal connection. I mean, just the, the volume of you know, media they're getting from the contestants from home, be it photos or video or whatever. You know, um, they asked when we were preparing for the show, they asked us for that media didn't end up using a lot of it. And I think this time around, they're much more intentional about um, getting those those things from the contestants so that they can make that connection explicit for the audience. Um, speaking to um, Dave and Richard, one of the things I've been most impressed with um, with them, aside from, of course, their amazing track record so far, is how intentional they are with the concepts for all of their builds, because they're very considered they're very personal. They're very current in a lot of ways as well. I mean, these these two have, um, you know, brought themselves and made a lot of statement pieces on Lego Masters, not just technically impressive builds, which they've also done, but they've made, you know, statements about environmentalism and about, you know, hometown pride. And I mean, all kinds of amazing things um, uh, that you wouldn't think they might be able to work into the show, but they have. And I've been yeah. very impressed with that going through um, their oeuvre so far. No, I mean, I think you make a great point. Um, you know, th that's something we even heard from them preseason in my preseason interview that they felt like was one of their superpowers. And we've really gotten to see it. I was afraid we wouldn't. Um, you know, it's, it sounded like too pure and too like important for, that I just assumed, you know, Hollywood, we'd, we'd somehow lose it. But I'm really glad that we haven't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting thing. And one thing with, with uh, Dave and Richard I had in my notes is something that your earlier point, Aaron, reminded me of, which is they wanted to make sure, you know, with Zach and Wayne as their, you know, partner here, that they would have a puppet that would stand up to all the crazy functions that they were already seeing along the way. You know, I feel like 
you know, we've talked about this with some of the other contestants, Aaron, but when you were building, did you do a lot of looking across the aisle or worrying about what everyone else was doing? Or did you feel like you just sort of tried to keep your head down, do what you guys could do? I mean, you, a lot of times you got to keep your head down. This is not the time. Um, but there were, there were moments where the on the floor producer would come over and say, we need to get a take of you looking over at that table. Three, two, one, look, <laughs> you know, um, that would happen. And sometimes in those moments, you might catch a glimpse. Um, rarely, rarely, but also, you know, wonderful. They would have all the teams circle their room one by one to look at what everyone else was doing. And I love those times to get to see people's works in progress. And, you know, especially with, with something like the golden brick in our pocket sometimes to really get a sense of where we were stacking up or what we might have to be afraid of. Um, that was, that was very important time that I wish we'd gotten to have more because so many of the builds on the show, I I didn't get to appreciate the level of uh, in-depth detail that I would have loved. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is we actually got, we we hear about it a lot in like exit press, but we got to see a little bit of Zach and Wayne actually teaching people how their mechanism worked. And we know that there's a lot of that sort of technique sharing on the show, but it was cool mm -hmm. to get to see it. Um, I feel like that was kind of a, a highlight for me. You know, Tyler, you know, what do you think in terms of of, of that sort of, you know, looking at other people's builds, but did you guys do a lot of that technique sharing both on or off camera? Yeah, we didn't really necessarily share techniques. Um, you're talking about like contestant to contestant or team yeah. to team. Yeah, there, there wasn't really a lot of that, but there, there certainly was, uh, at least uh, with my wife, Amy, she was always sizing up the competition. She's much more <laughs> of a competitor than I am. I'm much more of a keep my head down. I'm going to do my thing. But she'd always be like, Oh, hold on. Did you see what Mark and Boone are doing? Did you see what Aaron and Christian are doing? Okay, <laughs> we've got to make sure that you know, we're, we're, we're keeping up with them. So there's certainly, uh, I, I guess it all just comes down to, you know, what the I guess the, the atmosphere of your team is whether you're a team that wants to be knowing what everybody else is building, or if you're just a uh, you know, careful, methodical plotter that will <laughs> plot along in your own little space. I feel uh, like Christian and I were completely guileless now that I'm hearing that from you. Cause we were just like, we're going to make the best build we can. <laughs> You know? that, that's what I was doing. I would just get all the tips from Amy. She's like, Oh, did you hear what Mark and, Mark and Boone are doing? I don't know. Well, ignorance is bliss, Aaron, you know? So I feel like had you known you probably would have been like, I would be in the competition, which is like constantly paralyzed with anxiety that I'm not good enough. Um, there was like, enough of that life. <laughs> there, there was enough of that competing against myself and pushing myself going on. I didn't need to make it worse by thinking about what everyone else was doing. Um, because overall, I mean, on the, over the course of the competition, that creative exhaustion builds up that, you know, the being constantly under that pressure and building against the deadline over and over again, the anxiety builds up too. So there was plenty of that going around just from myself and for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need more of it by looking at what everyone else was doing. Um, but there were a few, a few, actually one specific instance I can remember um, for Tyler and Amy's, um, the uh, storybook challenge. Tyler, I don't know if you remember this at all, but you made those lanterns that were made from an elephant trunk and a um, like like a an Allen wrench, not an Allen wrench, like a a socket wrench piece that goes through it and just dangles. You were like, "This technique is so you." I thought of you when I did this. I was like, "What? I would never have thought of that." That's so good. <laughs> so maybe not so much technique sharing, but technique flexing. I mean, after the fact, there was plenty of that going around. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like uh, the bar after each episode, uh, you know, must, uh, must have, there must be some funny stories there. But, you know, the other interesting thing in terms of interpersonal dynamics, uh, coming back to that is, you know, between Mark and Steven and Caleb and Jacob, you know, we knew they were enemies, keeping your enemies close. But there was also a little bit of, um, uh, you know, they, there's been multiple times this season where they've come up with similar ideas. Um, you know, they both had a hanging, you know, floating island concept. They've both had a couple other similar concepts along the way. And there's always been this joke of them copying each other. But in this one, because they could work together, um, really, Mark and Steven could prevent Caleb and Jacob from actively copying them. And they put they told them, no, you're not going to make a dragon. We're making a dragon. And instead, you're going to just make a princess. And uh, I, you know, the one thing I'll say is I think everyone should be able to make whatever they want. But I did really appreciate how Caleb and Jacob really embraced that piece of it. Um, but Tyler, what do you think about this interpersonal stuff? Because I know you know Mark and Steven. You know, is this the bullying we can expect from them? Yeah, they're they're bullies, man. That's why that's why I like them. No, um, they uh, no. They, I mean, it is a competition. Like they're they're they may be working against their their enemies, but they they are giving their you know fellow teammates at this point, um, you know, so, uh, something positive. They're they're encouraging them to go. Oh, hey, what about a princess? What about this route? Maybe Caleb and Jacob did let. Uh, Mark and Steven run over him a little bit and just kind of go, oh, okay, I guess we'll make a princess. Uh, I, I personally would have been like, no, I'm making another dragon and we're going to have two awesome dragons. You make a red one, I'll make a green one. Um, but yeah, so the the interplay is interesting, especially with these 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 teams. Uh, I know they're they're all friends, uh, so <laughs> it's fun to fun to see sort of the the fake drama or the fake. Um, not fake drama, but the, just a little bit of the interplay between them. For sure. And I have to imagine that in some ways this was helpful because their story maybe made more sense than some of the other ones. You know, I can't, you know, I, I don't know if the grandma and the puppy had too much in common, you know, or the, or the, you know, the, um, the, you know, fencer and the DJ. You know, I, I don't know where the, those two ran into each other in life, but um, this was probably maybe in, in turn because of this interplay, the one that made the most sense. Um, but well, I think they also were one of the first teams to really go, hey, we want you guys. Hey, let's come up with a story that makes sense for these, which sure. I really I enjoyed that seeing this uh, these two teams kind of work on yeah. the story, you know, not just the story of their character, but the story of the the joining of their teams and their characters. Uh, I was just going to say that the um, I appreciated that, too, but it didn't seem like that was really rewarded or penalized for other teams to have stories that were nonsensical. I mean, at the end of the day every team was being judged individually. Uh, it didn't seem like teams were necessarily though rewarded or penalized for the way their stories worked with the other team they were on stage with though. I mean, uh, you know, Mark and Steven and Caleb and Jacob had that fusion. That was great. That was enjoyable. But sometimes the, the zaniness of those two characters that are completely at odds with each other meeting was also fertile ground for some enjoyable, you know, content. Um, and since the teams weren't being judged as teams, but as individuals at the end of the day, I don't think that really mattered very much to the Brickmasters, um, considering, you know, your top winning teams or your top two teams were from two different, um, uh, play lines, I guess you would call them. Sure. Well, why don't we jump then into the performance itself? Um, so obviously like this is unique, you know, they've had a couple of these sort of performance elements with like the fashion show and some of the other things, but. This was the real this was what we were all waiting for was to see the final performance. And, you know, high level, Tyler, you know, did the puppet show deliver? You know, is this what you had hoped it would be? Oh, my goodness. This was so entertaining. I, I loved seeing these puppets come to life. Like I love when 
you get like these character emotions out of builds. Uh, that's one of the things I love about, you know, creating giant carrots or whatever. But we really, <laughs> really, really saw them come to life in a very tangible way. Uh, it was just, you know, we, we, we got little glimpses through the build phase, but to see them actually just flailing around and moving and eyebrows and eyeballs and mouths going all over the place. Uh, it, was, it was so fun. Um, yeah. Is that, is that your Halloween party eyeballs everywhere and mouths? Uh, okay. uh, but, uh, no, but it was, it was definitely entertaining. Aaron, what did you think? I think that it was, it was much more fun and funny than I expected. If I'm going to be completely honest, because <laughs> with Lego built puppets, I didn't think they were going to come to life or be as lively as they were. And I I was laughing at the show with, with delight and with humor. It was so cool. Um, and I was really impressed. This is this is though where you know some of that 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 theater training and that you know class and <laughs> puppetry comes into effect because you could tell. I mean, Steven is a big puppet enthusiast, as he said on the show. And um, as he said to me in person when, you know, I was talking with him about this, um, the the thing that he did that not every team did is he was really good about syncing up the mouth of the puppet with what he was saying. And not every team was doing that. It's It's funny how, you know, that's something you don't think about doing unless you purposefully and intentionally study puppetry for one second. But when you do, you're like, oh, my God, of course, the puppet's mouth needs to move with my mouth, you know, versus um, just opening and closing at different intervals than what's being said. And I don't know how much of that comes down to their function being superior and maybe more pliable than other teams is. But it was something that I noticed and appreciated about their performance, you know, not just the puppet itself and the function, but the way that um, Stephen was able to actually bring the character to life and have the ventriloquism synchronized. I think that was another thing that made their character shine and probably ultimately helped them to come away with the win this week. Yeah. One thing I want to add there is just the fact that uh, their mouth was the mouth of their character was also just very noticeable. Yeah. Uh, it stood out very well so that you could very easily see it moving from either the front or from the side. And it it, it read very, very well. That's yeah. good. Point. Thank you. Yeah, totally good point. Because it had more swing to your point, like more like actual motion to open and close it than some of the others might have had. And yeah, I mean, I think to your point, it was awesome to see all the puppets come to life. And it was really, it was very satisfying. I especially loved like some of the, the edited segments they had, like where they all introduce themselves or they all come together at the end. And it really just, it sort of felt like the, the intro to the Muppet show or, or something like that, where you finally see all the puppets at once. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. So in terms of the judging, why don't we talk through it in the order that the, the actual builds were judged? But what I will do, if I can, uh, with my notes is to pepper in some of the elements from the performance, if you remember it. Don't worry, I took great notes. Um, but why don't we start then with Zach and Wayne? Their puppet was Panacio, uh, and the full name is Panacio de la Marque, the pompous fencer. So, you know, Aaron, what did you think about, you know, the totality of both the movement, the build, and, you know, the actual performance? Well, as we've said already in this discussion, Zach and Wayne are really technical geniuses, and that <laughs> that um, ability of theirs really helped them this week um, to shine and to have a character that was so vibrant uh, because not only did the character look good and have those, I mean, Amy brought up the the fabric texture of the cape, having those sort of um, uh, loosely layered polygons of the cape really helped with that, Uh, but also the shaping on the hat. I mean, the use of the the eight by four semicircle tile for the mustache half was like 
just inspired. I was like, that is perfect. It's so simple. It works great. Economical too, and not weighty. You know, they were very smart, really good designs, great functions. The hat tip was, was such a, um, deserves a tip of the hat to be, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and, um, I think it was also smart of them how, I think I noticed that they had the, the wand that they were using to maneuver the arm on the end of the sword, not on the arm itself, which meant that the rest of the arm, they could make really floppy. And that allowed it to be responsive to the movements of the sword in a very organic way. So um, definitely, again, they had a great design. You could tell they were pulling from their back pocket trick of, um, you know, pocket full of tricks and, um, and functions that served them a lot this week. The performance was also very lively and uh, well-coordinated. So I think they did great. They, they really deserved that top two spot this week. Totally, totally. I mean, I, you knew Wayne was going to thrive in the performance element here. Um, you know, it, it definitely, um, it's a funny juxtaposition to sort of see the very chill, you know, Richard puppet, you know, the DJ kind of with this like overly crazy element. And I think that goes back to what Will was saying to Caleb and Jacob earlier in the episode, which is like, whatever you do, you just got to commit really hard. And and Wayne, especially in the performance, definitely committed. What was your thoughts about this one, Tyler? Yeah, I loved just the, the styling of it. It was very unique and they just really captured the the essence of, you know, this kind of pompous fencer character. And yeah, the movements of this were fantastic, uh, especially like Aaron was saying, the, the sword. I think in the preview, that was one of the things that just really stood out to me out of all these puppets was just this, this sword that's flailing around. And I think Amy in the episode mentioned how much control uh, they were able to have over that to where they could even use it wasn't like a separate function that they used to tip the hat. They used the sword to then move the hat, which was, a, I, that was a, an exceptional way of implementing that movement. Yeah. And one thing I definitely noticed was that the hat itself, it really felt like a shrunk down version of their hats. Incredible build. It used like a similar color scheme for that feather with those, um, you know, the bright, flame yellow and, and pink leaf pieces. So if you're, uh, if you've been watching all along, they're putting even more Easter eggs for their other builds in this one, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this was a really great one. They, they chose a very bold character. The movement to your point was really great. And one of the things that we'd talked about earlier, but I wanted to talk, touch on here as well, was that the eyes and the mouth were tied together. And I think that it, that was a, that was one of those me mechanisms that maybe they didn't have the fun reveal like Mark and Steven did that their eyebrows also moved. But in a lot of ways, they were really rewarded by tying these two motions together because they didn't forget to use it either, you know? And so it added just constant emotion to the character as they were doing the different, you know, elements of their scene. And that was definitely um, highlighted by Jamie in this one. But I, I really thought that was quite exceptional, tons of great detail. So let's move then on to Dave and Richard. So Dave and Richard, their build was DJ Treats, a reggae DJ. And if anyone follows um, Richard on Instagram, that's almost his Instagram handle. <laughs> um, it's spelled a little bit uh, differently, probably pronounced differently too. But um, I definitely feel like uh, that was a fun little uh, nod to his his actual you know uh, situation and career and everything like that. But what did you think, um, Aaron, just how this DJ character came to life? I really appreciated the DJ um, for a number of reasons. One, it was so personal to Richard, um, DJ Treats, and the little cupcake on the chest. I mean, that was just so funny. And you could tell right <laughs> away this was like, a, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to put it, but just like such a caricature of that DJ character that is his alter ego. It was like so many degrees of repersonalization. I don't know. I just loved it. <laughs> um, the hair for me, the hair there was the, 
be really um, impressive, deceptively, you know, I mean, such a simple idea, but no one else did it. And it mm-hmm. worked really well for bringing that character to life. Um, obviously, they put legs on the character. They mentioned that in the episode. And I think had they not done the legs, they probably would have had more time to add extra um, refinement to, say, the torso and the arms, which they got dinged for being a little blocky. I didn't mind the blockiness personally, um, but I did uh, think that the hair was spectacular. Um, The mouth movement, I couldn't tell if it was just less visible or maybe less synchronized. That seemed to be, you know, an area where they could have had more going on. Um, I do also think the DJ was such a great character to have on screen, uh, because it was the only puppet of color. And I mean, that's an important thing for representation, um, in Lego and in life in general. So I really loved DJ treats. Um, I could have watched him bop his head all day. (laughs) Well, listen, I definitely want to call that out in terms of representation. It's so important. It's important to the show, but it's also very important in general. And so it's always great to see that highlighted. Um, So I I definitely want to give that point its due. And the interesting thing about their mouth mechanism is that it's, I think it was sort of tied, if I could, you know, kind of visualize it to the way that the head bobbed. So it was sort of like you had to bob the head and kind of like, you know, um, like kind of flip your wrist in order to get the the mouth movement. It was a little hard mm. to tell, but um, but yeah, something made me think that they were somehow tied together. But that head movement and kind of the way that it could be a little bit more fluid, it definitely, it stood out to me. I thought that was a really unique part of this character. But Tyler, what stood out to you? Yeah, I think that head movement is one of the things that really stood out. And uh, like you were saying, that, that mechanism for the mouth and the head, like I think that was all tied into one, you know, mechanic or one, you know, device that they could manipulate that both bobs the head and can move the mouth. Uh, and it, I mean, that's perfect for the character. Absolutely perfect. And this is what... Uh, Dave and Richard are so far being very well known for is just kind of these simplistic, um, elegant but simplistic uh, movements or elements that they add to their builds. And I think that that head mechanism is just uh, having this bobbly ball and socket (laughs) head uh, was just perfect for the character. Uh, The other thing I loved is this was uh, my favorite of all the, the human characters that were created. Uh, just because they they kind of went cartoony, and I like that. They didn't, you know, I think some of the other characters were a little more blocky, and they really, really sculpted that face really well, and they kind of did this caricature of him, and, like, the eyes were very different than any of the other characters. Yeah. You know, they didn't just use big uh, googly eyes. They, they personalized it a little more, and kind of, it, it feels like a, a cartoonist drew this in a, their own special style. So I feel like they, they, they infused a lot of their style into this. It was nice. No, I, I that's, ex- it was exactly my thought. Like almost, it was like, it was like how Pixar cartoons are always, they look like a Pixar cartoon. You know, this one definitely had its mm-hmm. own unique style. And then the other piece of it is just um, when it comes to the last detail I wanted to point out was those headphones. I thought that was like a very simple, you know, build, but it was just so effective uh, seeing that wrap around the head. And so I didn't want that to go unnoticed as well, but yeah, I mean, I think you make an interesting point, Aaron, in terms of, you know, could their time have been used a little bit differently from the legs? Because we just we really just didn't get to see it, sadly. Um, you know, I think that that's probably a pretty fair critique. And then the other thing is, I feel like um, the build certainly stood up to Zach and Wayne's. But I did feel like Richard's characterization did get a little lost just in the performance element of it all, where, um, you know, 
it's very hard when I'm sure Wayne's just like spouting off these things and shaking the sword to feel like you can even get a word in edgewise. Um, but at least with the way that the edit showed it, which obviously may not be the full story, it did sort of feel like, um, you know, Richard was the tamer, certainly, of the two characters. Well, they chose a low energy character, which I think was, you know, appropriate for the character they chose for him to be kind of chill and like this. But in a performance setting where you're directly next to someone who's so high energy, that can be kind of challenging as well. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, so speaking of that, why don't we move on then to Caleb and Jacob? So this was a character, Samantha, the sassy princess. And to your point about, you know, choosing a high energy character, this one definitely stood out in that sort of way. But Tyler, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things that I loved about this um, was the mouth movement. We, we got a lot of mouth movement out of such a big and heavy character, which I was really surprised at because uh, as we'll see with uh, um, Brian and Lauren's, you know, that, that big character didn't have quite as much mouth movement. So I just loved seeing her just, you know, as this high energy, like very fast talking character having that mouth moving 90 miles an hour was, I think, really appropriate for the character. Yes. Yeah, the, the mouth movement, I mean, the big difference between, say, their mouth and Brian and Lauren's mouth is that they had the lower jaw, almost like nutcracker style, separated, thin, able to move and flap really easily because most of the weight was not in it. Brian and Lauren, conversely, I mean, we'll get to them later, but they had their whole upper part of the head have to tilt back to open their mouth. And that's where most of the weight was. So it was not as agile of a, of a movement just because there was so much more weight behind it. No, I mean, you make a really excellent point. You know, keep by keeping the lower like part of the lip and jaw skinnier, like, you know, less studs wide, you know, it, it does allow for more of that flexibility, which is really great. But I loved also a lot of the characterization that this character had, both in the performance, certainly, I think they went ham on that character, which was a lot of fun, but also some of the facial elements, you know, the eyebrows, the eyelashes, the lipstick, you know, th this character definitely stood out in terms of those sort of things. But Aaron, what do you think about the build for the character? Um, I think that the build was very successful in terms of being able to convey emotion, which was the most important thing of all. Um, the mouth, like Tyler mentioned, was very responsive, fitting with the character, you know, very, uh, um, a, very much a jabby character um, who was able to go like this. Um, for those of you who aren't watching, you know, we're, we're on video right now, but I was clapping <laughs> my hand really fast. Um, the eye roll for me was the, the you know, uh, cherry on top that really elevated that character and helped to sell her as sassy because you can't be sassy without rolling your eyes. It's just it's <laughs> human. And it's impossible for a person to be sassy without rolling their eyes. Um, and I think that was a really smart choice because the mechanism for making an eye roll like that, probably not too complicated. But the fact that they had the forethought to do that at all was very smart um, yes. and perfect for the character. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the simplest things are the best. Um, you know, we talked even in a previous episode with Richard, who comes from a theater background, too. And sometimes the simplest mechanisms also don't fail. You know, I think that that's sometimes what we forget is, you know, by keeping it simple, it's just going to work every time. And Absolutely. this one definitely delivered. I think the build itself was really great. They had um, kind of like more of a tapered waist design, which I thought was interesting. So instead of it being a uniform kind of blocky thickness all the way down, similar to Dave and Richard's build or Michelle and Natalie's build, it actually sort of tapered down to like a more skinny waist, um, you know, if you will. And, and I thought that was a nice little add on here. 
Anything else, uh, Tyler, that stood out to you from Caleb and Jacob's build? One of the things that was really nice was they they spent a lot of time sculpting the hair. Um, I, I feel like we never really got a good good look at that, but they they used a ton of pieces and probably made it very heavy. But we had <laughs> a lot of a lot of hair, which was nice. Yeah. Well, and then the last thing you know is the you know the um there was a lot of feedback on the movement. You know, Jamie said everything was moving. What an effort! And Amy said every movement added to the emotion. And this one did have more of like that bobbly head like Dave and Richards, um, which was really exceptional. I, I was almost surprised when it was posed on the stand later on during the judging that the head would hold up because it seemed so loose that I was surprised it would even stand still. Um, but that was one of those elements that I think really allowed this character to emote too, because the character was able to in some ways look down on the dragon, like physically down um, from just the head, which really no other character could do, which made them their interaction, I think, a little bit more authentic. Cool. Why don't we move on then to that dragon with Mark and Steven. Again, here we've got Bernie the Burnt Out Dragon, another low energy character, if you will, Aaron. But what did you think about this one? Well, I don't know how they did it because they had a low energy character, but it came off completely different than the low energy character of um, Dave and Richard, because I don't know, Steven knows his puppets and he knows how to make him sing i guess the the dead i mean that the other thing the thing was the um the deadpan dragon was a much better fit against the really jabby princess um that that dynamic had a lot of comedic fertility to it um versus you know the the um the very aggressive musketeer and the kind of laid back dj i mean the dj is always going to absorb and just be like hey it's all cool whatever um I don't know. It, for some reason, I think the dynamic helped that character. That was a lower energy character to um, to sing more. Yeah. And we've well, talked we've talked a lot about already. Sorry to interrupt you there, Michael. No, you're good. But, um, oh, I was going to say. Um, all I was going to say is, you know, um, when it comes to a lot of cartoons, there are some notable low energy characters that really stand out. I think of like Droopy the dog or Eeyore, where it's not that they're low energy; it's that they have like a very specific point of view of the world. That's yeah. um that's just sadder than others. Um, right. So maybe they take a lesson there. It's easier to be comedic. It's easier to make jokes from the perspective of I'm just so over all of it versus it's all good. It's all good, you know, because conflict is inherent in comedy. And if you're at grievance with everything, that's funny in its own way too. Um, <laughs> we've talked already about the, the real genius of the, the you know, choice of character and the design. I mean, having that jaw where the, the lever of the jaw was so much longer than everybody else's. So like Tyler mentioned, it was very visible and it was well coordinated and synchronized with Steven's performance. And they had those eyebrows that moved and the character design itself was very well built. Something that was notable for me was they really turned to, um, curved slopes and tiles much more than other teams who oftentimes embrace the studs out approach, which makes sense because a lot of times the Muppets are kind of fuzzy and the studs out texture looks very fuzzy. But I think Mark and Steven were able to um, flex a little bit on their, um, their technical expertise, not just in the functions, but in the polish they were able to bring to the armor of the dragon, and the scales. And the way they did the, the belly scales was also so good. I mean, I think they were using uh, two by two round tiles with the hole in the middle and then they inverted a round one by one stud on there to get that texture. It was so well done. I mean, just the level of polish across the whole build was really spectacular for the amount of time they had. Um, oh, absolutely. And what's also spectacular is your ability to just spout out part names very quickly. Um, I think we're all getting an education there, but um, no, I spend I mean, a lot of time ordering Lego. So <laughs> at this point, it's just what happens. 
No, I love it. I love it. But yeah, I think you make an interesting point. And I think that their scale, the small scale was sort of necessary to even be able to use a lot of those curved pieces to such great effect. Because if you go bigger, Lego doesn't really make bigger curved pieces, or they make some, I should say, but they really don't make that many. Um, And often when they need a curved piece at that scale, they have to make a new one. I think about the new Porsche 911 um, car that just came out, you know, they had to introduce two new slope pieces um, for the different sides of the back of that car, because they just really don't make large curve pieces, but they have a lot of small curve pieces and they used it to quite great effect. What did you think, Tyler? Yeah, one of the things that really stood out to me about their build was uh, first off their sculpting, but that also makes it a very three-dimensional character, which uh, a lot of the other puppets that we saw were much more Mm -hmm. two-dimensional, at least from, uh, from the viewer's standpoint. Whereas Mark and Steven could actually turn him to the side and he still reads very, very well. You're not just looking at the side of a block of a head. You know, you can still see his mouth moving. You can still see his arms. He's got wings on the back that are flopping around. Uh, So I think they really played into the fact that they are building a full character and not just something that's going to be read just from the front. Uh, So that was one of the things that really stood out to me about their character. Yeah. I mean, this was really the best sculpt overall, I would have to say, you know, especially like, you know, like, like you were saying, it wasn't like one just block of a head. The head had a lot of dimension. There was like kind of bigger cheeks. The head, the top of the head was rounded on a different curve. You know, they really had a lot of those different, just like nuanced sculpture to create those sub, you know, I'm thinking about what you mentioned uh, about the cape earlier, Aaron, that that was sort of low poly when it comes to uh, like video game design. It wouldn't take as many uh, code, you know, elements to make that. This one would take a lot because there were so many like spherical shapes on different mm-hmm. planes. So I think this one was far more high polygon count, uh, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's it, I, th- I think the the um, stylization of the dragon was really well done. Um, like you mentioned, with the cheeks and the head and the sort of the shoulders that were just rounded. And, and again, to me, that just speaks to um, Stephen's enthusiasm with and engagement with sort of the puppet medium before coming on the show because he already knew some of those tropes and successful cartoonish shapes or things that would look right on a real puppet because of probably some constraints that are related to making puppets. I don't really know that much about them, (laughs) but he was able to introduce that vocabulary, that visual language in the medium of Lego bricks um, in spite of the fact that it wasn't necessarily the most convenient thing to do, um, but it made it look much more like a conventional puppet for that reason. And one interesting thing that I noticed is they were the only team to make the sticks of their arms, like the the stick to control the arms, red. And that's because ah. it would blend in with the puppet theater, which was all red. And I so didn't even I think about like, that, but that's genius of them. Good job. You I guys. know. <laughs> what a fun attention to detail. Um, you know, obviously, like the, often those those sticks in puppetry are black because then they'll fade into the background. You won't notice them. And they literally made them red so that they would fade into the background. Um, and I thought that was just kind of a fun little detail, but. Yeah, I mean, they got a lot of great accolades here, um, you know, from Amy and Jamie. You know, Amy said, wow, you guys can sculpt. And it was a really different side of you, not a brick in sight. And I just wanted to point that out because it goes back to the conversation we were talking about earlier. You know, do you use brick ma- brick-based methods of sculpting or not? Um, they're really rewarded for that. And it just shows that extra level of difficulty, you know, in in the, and an understanding of the brick in a unique way. So why don't we move on then to Lauren and Brian. Theirs was Princess Pup Hazel. Um, which there was their actual dog who is true puppy royalty. Tyler, what did you think of how this one came together? 
this is like the most adorable character I think they've made on the show. It's so cute. And I, I love that they <laughs> infused their, 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 uh, their actual pet into this, this build. I think that's really smart of them to draw inspiration from that. I, I love those big old eyes. And uh, like Aaron mentioned before, they, they had that really good sympathetic movement of the, the ears that would flop back and forth. Uh, so adorable, adorable character. So fun to see. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a lot of the right thoughts. Like, I think even the tongue had some sort of sympathetic motion. I remember during mm. the build phase, Lauren was like, yeah, it's wagging or something like that about the tongue. And, you know, the thing I was thinking about from a performance standpoint is, could they have made the dog shake back and forth almost uncontrollably so that the ears would be swinging like big swings just to enhance that sort of sympathetic motion more than we got to see in this one. But Aaron, what did you think of how it came together? Well, I think that kind of motion you're talking about would have been easier if the build had been lighter. And, you know, I think unfortunately the team, uh, you know, Brian, uh, Brian and Lauren took the brick building roots early and in lego masters a lot of times there's not time to turn back and do it again a different way sure um they chose to make their puppet out of bricks i mean we've seen and they have executed to victory brick built characters like their frog for instance this in a lot of ways felt like a spiritual successor of that frog um which was an amazing cute dynamic and expressive brick built character they did a lot of the same skills here but um, due to the technique they were using, it just was harder to maneuver their puppet than some of the other teams that opted for lighter builds. Um, that tied with the, the thing I mentioned earlier about the head where they had to tilt back the whole top of the head to make it talk rather than having a light lower jaw to move. I think, you know, that, that was in the end, that's what really, um, sabotaged their, their chances was that their puppet wasn't able to really behave like a puppet, even though it was so cute and so well-realized and such a great concept, perfect choice for this. I mean, doing a non-humanoid character is in a lot of ways the right way to go because we as people have a very low tolerance for things that don't look like people that are meant to be people a lot of the time. <laughs> we know our anatomy very well. And if something doesn't look like a person, you know, it'll seem wrong to us in a way that an animal may not if it's a bit more cartoonish or it's a bit less tr you know true to um, reality um so i think the choice of a dog was a really smart option and the colors they chose were right the expression was perfect you know they had the idea to include those sympathetic movements but at the end of the day it was just too heavy because of the technique they chose and i just think they didn't have time to go back and fix it you know yeah well, it's hard because with the mouth as open as it was it certainly looked like by default really cute but I yeah. think it it also made the mouth motion maybe even even more subtle because it was going from open to further open versus from closed to open. And, True. you know, even if they had managed just the same amount of travel, but you got to see like the, the inner part of the mouth, which was black in color, just like peeking out every time the mouth opened, maybe it would have created that visual contrast to have that read even a little bit better, even with exactly the same amount of small travel that we saw there. But I mean, listen, this one was so cute. It was um, that there was a crown on the top, which I really loved. Um, I also noted that it looked like their frog for sure, um, just because it definitely looked a little bit sim uh, similar. But yeah, I mean, I think that this one was a really fun one, but it, I don't think it, it they didn't get out of it what they were hoping for. You know, like, like we were saying, some of the mechanisms, you know, just didn't sort of come together the, the way they wanted to, you know, but it wasn't because they had bad ideas. Certainly, it was just because I think in the moment, the performance element, it's hard to, you know, be doing that live and juggling the puppet literally and all that sort of stuff. Brian, yeah. we even see 
him say during the episode, you know, I was maybe more focused on getting my accent right and some of those elements that you forget to sort of perform. And I think Aaron, you know, coming from a theater background and like I do too, you know that sometimes when you get on stage, you know, people don't like they don't do anything with their hands. I feel like that's like one of the common acting things is you sort of stand there like a statue and you're and you're maybe you're emoting still and you're saying all the lines right, but you're not like a, a living, breathing character. And I feel like that that was one of the elements that they could have benefited from here was that Caleb and Jacob advice from from Will, which is just go big, you know, go commit really hard. And I think that um, the rest of it sort of would have followed. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't because this wasn't a great character. You know, that was obviously one of the key components of the challenge, but it just didn't um, they weren't able to express it. And I think in the way that they had wanted to, um, you know, which was well, which was obviously a little disappointing. Also, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, I feel like a lot of the other puppets and teams, they kind of used both of their teammates to be manipulating different parts. You know, one person would be controlling the hands and the arms. Uh, I don't know that they leaned into that very well. I don't remember seeing Lauren uh, contributing to the the performance or the manipulation of their puppet, which that could have also been something that was uh, an area where they could have tried to do something that would have helped their chances a little more. What, what I think might have actually happened here is that their arms, they sat very low on the dog. And I think that because of how heavy the puppet was, it sat lower in that open frame of the puppet theater. And so it was hard to even at one point, I thought when they were doing their ball fetch joke that the ball was floating on its own stick instead of being connected to an arm. But because it was just being held so low. And I wonder, if again, that's where the weight comes into play, where had it been lighter and they could hold it higher that some of the arm movement that I believe Lauren was responsible for would have just been more vis- visible. Mm. At the end of the day, the competition this week was really stiff. Everyone did a very good job. That was actually something I was reflecting on during the episode. I was like, there's there's not a build here that's a clear, you know, bottom two build. All of them executed really well in one or more than one way. Um, and I think Brian and Lauren executed excellently on the characterization, the idea, the um the ideas for their sympathetic movements um but yeah at the end of the day because it was such a tight competition the um performance was um really one of the only ways that these puppets were differentiated from each other and uh, because you know maybe brian was was in his head about the accent or x y or z or they weren't coordinated enough together or the arm movements weren't big enough their puppet just it, it didn't rise to the same level as some of the others which is unfortunate because this is a Lego building show, but they kind of went home for a not Lego building reason. Yeah. Well, and I think the interesting thing here is that, you know, especially up against um, Michelle and Natalie, you know, this is again, one of those instances where the character, it was hard to stand up against the character from Michelle and Natalie's team, just being so much more bold and such in their characterization. Um, You know, I mean, listen, unless Brian could had some secret, you know, gospel pipes we didn't know about, you know, and he could he could sing his head off too. it would have been hard to stand out, you know, in that sort of way. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I, like like you said, we're we're comparing different carrots of gold or different, um, you know, minute details and how many carrots are in the diamond. You know, I mean, these are really exceptional builders. Everyone's performing at such a high caliber that it's it is these small little nitpicky things that make the difference. So why don't we move on to then the last build here, which was Michelle and Natalie's build, Betty Bricks, the singing grandma, um, who actually turned out to be uh, uh, Natalie's grandma. She didn't even realize it, but she was subconsciously building her grandmother all along. But Tyler, what did you think about this one? Oh, this was a really fun character, and I like that they leaned into the the singing aspect of their character so early on that you really see that in the 
the build, you know, the, the mouth is very large. I, I think it's even wider than the head. So that really <laughs> adds to and accentuates the the mouth of this singing character, which I think was a really smart move. And they were, I'm, it's amazing. They were actually able to get a, quite a bit of movement out of that mouth, even with it being so large. Aaron's already mentioned having that smaller mouth is easier to manipulate in a, a faster way, but they were able to get a lot of movement and travel uh, in a surprisingly large mouth, which was a really nice feature for their character. Yeah, um, certainly that was done to great effect when Natalie like was literally singing and melting everyone's faces, you know, with that unbelievable riff uh, that she gave us. And obviously we do know, you know, from outside the show, she is a singer. I think she even has uh, maybe some new music coming out right now, if I remember from her Instagram. So um, people will have to probably check that out. But Aaron, what did you think about Betty? I think uh, it's interesting because Betty was one of the blockiest characters in terms of the physical appearance, uh, the most cube-like head. But I think because that aesthetic was um, consistent across the whole character, I didn't really mind it, actually. I kind of liked the rectangular shape of the head and the body and all that because it felt like that was the style they had chosen. Somehow they were able to carry off the fact that their character was very blocky. It just, it looked right to me for one reason or another. I don't really know what it is. Maybe because the, you know, the the line of the mouth cut across the whole head, which was just accentuating that blockiness and making it seem more like a stylistic choice rather than, you know, the necessity of people who maybe didn't have as much experience sculpting going into this challenge um, and trying to make a puppet. I mean, these, these are hard things to do. Um, I really liked the um, pattern on the garment as well. I think that was a great use of those dots tiles, which just makes me yep. once again, rue the fact that we did, did not have those on season one. Those are some <laughs> great pieces. Um, and, you know, obviously, sure, the, the arm popped off. To me, it looked like they were using just single large ball joints there, which is a good choice for getting that movement with all that weight because they're going to loosen up and not really have a lot of grip due to the weight. Um, But it's also not a very strong joint. Um, But you know that they were able to save that pretty quickly. And um, in the end, they were able to carry through to the next round here. I think that was, um, again, as good as all the builds were, it was, you know, the small things that put them in the bottom there, like the arm popping off. Um, and their character being a bit more blocky, which I didn't mind as much. I think it was still a very strong character, but I can understand coming from the fact this was a sculpting challenge, why that maybe, uh, you know, set them one little rung below everybody else in that regard. Yeah. And I think to your point, it, it also sometimes the, the, the ability to shape sort of speaks to the, the level of technique and finesse. And so it may be not that it wasn't successful, because I actually agree to your, uh, to your point that it did read quite successfully but it may just speak to what level of technique that they were able to bring to the sculpting in general. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think this one was super fun. Obviously the one notable thing we haven't talked about is the curlers, um, all those crazy curlers that they had, which I thought was, was a lot of fun. And it was very cute how they came together at the end. We probably saw the most of the performance of this pair and how they came at the end to sing a song together, which was actually a pretty decent song because I'm sure they, they had to put that together within the 10 hours that they were given. But I did like that the moral of the story of that song was that the plural of Lego is also Lego. Um, you know, if we could take away one thing, kids, you know, that's the only thing you need to know about Lego. <laughs> Preach. Hallelujah. Exactly. Well, why don't we then move on to the actual, you know, commence the judging. So when it comes to this competition, obviously there's a top two and a bottom two. 
And in this case, the top two were Zach and Wayne and Mark and Steven. And I feel like from our discussion, we probably feel like that's the right fit. But Aaron, you know, do you feel like there was another build that should have been in the top two that might have just missed it? Or, you know, what do you think about how this one came together? I agree with the pick of the top two by the Brickmasters. Um, again, it was it was a tight field this week. But I think that the the functionality, the characterization and the performance of Mark and Steven and Zach and Wayne were top notch across the board. Um, they definitely deserve their top two spots. Um, I think had there been, you know, a top three Personally, I probably would have put Caleb and Jacob in there as well because sure. of the extremely expressive puppet they had, or maybe uh, Dave and Richard, because again, their character was so unique and had that amazing sympathetic movement going on that really brought um, DJ treats to life. So those, I mean, you know, there were only six teams. So of course the, the two <laughs> teams in the middle would be in either the top or the bottom, depending on how many more you want to add to each. Um, it was really, it was really tight. I agree with the choice of the top two, but I think everyone did exceptionally well this week. No, I think you make a great point in terms of just the embracing of the challenge, creating a strong character, great sculpting and having the mechanisms and like maybe most sophisticated mechanics out of any of the groups in terms of just the ease of operation and the like. Yeah. I think these teams really stood apart from the rest. Um, and our ultimate winner here was Mark and Steven. So Tyler, you know, what do you think set Mark and Steven apart? And, and do you agree with this choice? You know, should it have been Zach and, and Wayne? Yeah. So when I was watching the episode, I thought that the judges were going to pick Zach and Wayne. Okay. Uh, so I was actually surprised that they picked Mark and Steven. Uh, thinking about it more in, you know, and in our discussion here, I I feel like I, we're, we're getting to something where we're understanding a little more of the, the judges' mindset, I think in terms of kind of that three-dimensionality of the character. Uh, they mentioned that it was very much a sculpting challenge, and that is totally what Mark and Steven leaned into, all those fine curves and shaping that they did. Uh, so I think that is ultimately uh, what swayed the judges in their, uh, their favor. But man, Zach and Wayne's was excellent with all the mechanics and the characterization. So I imagine that this was down to down to the wire is it could have you know been a, a coin flip as to which one they ultimately chose because they were both so well polished at the end i guess uh yeah. yeah polished would be my term for for how well these two teams did yeah i mean the hat tip technically i think puts zach and wayne over mark and steven in terms of just sheer number of functions but i do think that mark and steven to your point had the sculpting edge there. You know, while Aaron, you were giving them some accolades, Zach and Wayne, about the simple parts usage having really great effect, like the like the mustache build. You know, Mark and Steven, I think, were able to just put a volume of pieces to really bring that to life, to even smooth it out, which I thought was a unique um, aspect. So yeah, that, that's I think that's what definitely stood out for me. Anything else, Aaron, that we're missing in terms of what, uh, you know, this how this final decision was made for the top? Um, yeah, I feel like they were very close, like Tyler said. Um, I really love dragons. So for me, Mark and Steven, <laughs> instant winners. Uh, no, but it, it, it's like you say, they they made smart choices in a way that no other team really did. I mean, Zach and Wayne, they made a great character choice, but their character, it was harder to execute to that level of polish than Mark and Steven's. I mean, it's easier to make a rounded dragon snout than a flowing cape. It's easier to make a jaw that reads when it's longer versus, you know, a jaw that's maybe hidden underneath a mustache, right? Little things. I don't think it was even intentional on Mark and Steven's part, but they made a very smart choice 
with their character. And that allowed them to really dive into the execution um, and be able to do some things Zach and Wayne just couldn't based on their choice of character. The other thing that I mentioned earlier that I was honestly happy to see because it makes me as a smaller things builder feel very validated <laughs> is that they were not penalized for having a smaller puppet. In fact, making a smaller puppet allowed them to get that level of refinement that brought them to the top this week. Um, so I think that was another thing that helped them out. Yeah. I, I'm almost surprised that no one got punished for for being small. You know, I, I really think that was so unique just to this episode, like you were saying very early in this podcast. But even even now, even even after we've talked about it, I still can't believe it. Um, and and I, I should have commented on this sooner, Tyler, but, um, you know, I hope that when people listen to this podcast, they get a better sense of what they what they see on the show. You're like, I feel like I'm finally understanding why these things are happening. Listen, that that's what we're here for. And you know, I mean, that that you know, who else talks, you know, two hours about a show that's only one hour long. I mean, this is this is what you <laughs> this is what you come for. Um, no, but all joking aside, um, let's move on then to the bottom two. And like we were saying, you know, this is sort of sorting between, you know, pieces of gold, diamonds themselves. And our bottom two here were Lauren and Brian and Michelle and Natalie. So while the other two were from different teams, these two were from the same team. But Aaron, you know, like we were talking about, it's so hard to decide who's in the top, who's in the bottom. You know, do you think any of those middle builds, you know, deserve to be in the, or not, deserves the wrong word, you know, could have been in the bottom this time? Or do you think, again, these were the right two choices? Um, I think these were the right choices for the bottom two, from my perspective, uh, because while the characters were really well realized and while they were smart choices for characters and the performances were good, um, at the end of the day, both teams technically were just not living up to the platinum standard set by the likes of, you know, Zach and Wayne, Mark and Steven, um, Caleb and Jacob, who have more of that experience with function building, for instance, that really allowed their characters to come to life in a way I never even expected to see. I was very impressed. I was honestly, you know, totally floored by the <laughs> expressiveness and dynamicness of those characters. So you know, while um, Michelle and Natalie and Brian and Lauren did a great job, they didn't do the unbelievable job, you know? So I just, I think that in a, in a really tight field, just based on the techniques they were able to incorporate and, you know, in Brian and Lauren's case, the unfortunate um, choice of technique, which added so much to their weight. And in Michelle and Natalie's case, the blockier characterization, which just didn't look as refined. I mean, you know, there's those are things that can cost you, uh, you know, being in not that can put you in the bottom too when field is so tight. For sure, for sure. And you know, it's 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 really tough um, in these instances because it's just you know I, I'm trying to think of like why these two are in the bottom. And you know, I think sculpts were pretty good. You know, maybe even some somewhat on par with some of the others. But I think to your point, these two, the only the, the strongest um, movements were in the mouth and in the arms for these two. They didn't have like that bonus movement, like the eye rolling or, you know, um, you know, the eyebrows or whatever it is. And then, you know, kind of um, on the flip side, they, you know, also maybe lacked some of those sculptural refinements that sort of put them here, you know, and listen, like. I think a lot of that, you know, listen, we know what these these teams are capable of. They've both been winners before, you know, so I mean, that's that's really yeah. insane. And it's really, I have to imagine, a matter of 10 hours. And the fact that practicing with your puppet and learning the lines and getting ready for the show probably takes away from that time too. But Tyler, what do you think about our bottom two here? Um, and ultimately, and sadly, Lauren and Brian being the ones to leave. Yeah, I think these were the right choices. Everything Aaron has said is very accurate and on point for uh, why 
these teams were in the bottom two. They were great builds, but uh, again, they just didn't lack, they, they lacked a little bit of that finesse. Um, I'm sad to see Lauren and Brian go. Uh, they're they're my character building team. I, I, I love I love their characters. I loved this character. I think this is one of their their strongest characters. But again, it just didn't the character didn't live up to the the mechanical uh, challenge that they were being asked uh, that or that was being asked of them. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sad to see them go. Uh, it's really really challenging to see people go because there's such a uh, high caliber of builds. Uh, I was having a very hard time figuring out, oh gosh, who's going to be in the bottom two. I, I, sure. It's, At this point in the competition, everyone who was in this episode had won a challenge at least once, mm-hmm. which is awesome. I mean, again, so cool. such skilled builders and a really well-balanced um, array, different skill sets, and everyone had found a challenge that they really were able to, to that they succeeded at and they won. At this point in the show, everyone's a winner. So it's like you're choosing between exceptional teams and it, it, it gets harder and harder the closer you get. And yeah, it is sad to say goodbye to all these teams that bring something really unique to the table. And um, I think Brian and Lauren had a, had a great, great thing going and they did very well, but it is sad to see him go. And that's just yeah. how the show is. It's a competition. Well, and, and to your point, it's like one challenge that maybe isn't your perfect cup of tea or even just like, you know, getting too far gone on a, on a thing and not being able to pivot or, or even fix something, you know, it's those little things that are going to set the difference between who goes home and who stays this at this far into the competition, especially with the caliber, like you're saying, being what it is. But why don't we talk a little bit then about Lauren and Brian kind of give them their send off, you know, this team, you know, to your point, Tyler, they brought a ton of fun energy. They're just so sweet. Um, you know, like I, grew up building Lego with my brother. Um, and, you know, but not even to the extent I think that Brian and Lauren did, but it really felt like that this was something that really bonded them and connected them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do you, what do you have to say just in terms of us um, saying a fond farewell? Yeah. So I, I actually have a sister that I built Lego with, and I actually tried to get her to go on the show with me before I tried to get my <laughs> wife to go on the show with me. Uh, my sister turned me down. So I, I think it's a really cool uh, dynamic to have this brother sister team. I, I love seeing them interact together and they're just so encouraging and positive. They have a really, really strong relationship or at least so TV would make it appear. But I think that's the <laughs> the, the actuality of it as well. Uh, so I just, I love seeing these really strong family relationships uh, in these teams and uh, they've been uh, just a delight to watch as they kind of go on this journey together. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say about their relationship, you know, is it just for the cameras? It's definitely not. Um, so when I was interviewing them pre-season, I asked like, oh, do you guys bicker, you know, your siblings? And they said, well, the only thing we might be accused of is smiling too much. Um, you know, so I, I was like, okay, you are as adorable as I thought you might be. So, um, no, I think they're the real deal there. Um, but Aaron, you know, what, what are your thoughts about just saying goodbye to Lauren and Brian? Um, I would agree with what Tyler said. They have a really genuine connection. That's always just so amazing to see on TV. Makes me think of like Manny and Nestor. I mean, the love that's there is so effusive and so real and so authentic and just makes you smile every time you see it. And those two have such a strong family bond. But beyond that, they also made some pretty awesome stuff on this show. Um, I mean, that frog was so well done. They they've just they've done some really cool builds. They've held their own um, and you know deserved to make it this far in the competition for sure. At this point, every team could be the winning team. I honestly don't know how this is going to shake out because they're all <laughs> so strong. Everyone who's left, it's crazy. 
Oh, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. But yeah, just to, you know, just put a bow on, on Lauren and Brian, you know, it, you could tell what this all meant to them, you know, that they, that doing this together was maybe the most special part, you know, even more so than getting to do the challenges or being on TV, you know, it wouldn't have meant as much to them. It seems like if they didn't do it together, um, you know, their last words on the show was, you know, that what a, it's been an incredible journey and we did it together memories for our whole life. And um, I'm a very lucky sister. I'm a very lucky brother. So I, I had that in my notes and I thought that was just so adorable. But I guess to your point, Aaron, you know, we're looking forward to the next episode and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the preview, but just, you know, going into it, we've got five teams left. It couldn't be closer. You know, who are you rooting for? You know, who do you think has what it takes to go all the way? Everybody. Um, <laughs> it, it comes to, it, it, I think it's going to shake down to what challenges are next and how people's strengths are able to uh fit those challenges you know if if every challenge going forward is highly technical and highly um you know function based i think zach and wayne are gonna you know run away with this thing or they have a very good shot if you have something that's much more about bringing in one's personal life and storytelling and message you know uh richard and dave have a really good shot if you're looking for just that, you know, the the epic fantasy factor, Caleb and Jacob, Mark and Steven. Uh, and if, you know, it, it comes down to something like, you know, style and um, thinking outside the box and um, creating really memorable silhouettes. I mean, you know, Michelle and Natalie have got that in droves. Everyone has their their specialties and their strengths. Um, who I'm rooting for is everybody. I want everyone to <laughs> succeed. I know only one can win. But I want to see great work from everyone. And I honestly expect that we will because there's such strong teams that are left. You know, Aaron, I asked you to pick one person so I could start more drama because the more drama there is, I feel like that helps feed, you know, people listening to the podcast. So um, thanks for for uh, for giving everyone there. Well, you know, some, something you learn being on the show is is just don't give them anything to work with. You got to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not on the show anymore. I'll, I'll give you some drama. No, I'm just no, kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I mean, listen, I think I think to your point, it's so hard to pick. And I think everyone you know, everyone could win, you know, Brian, Brian and Lauren could have won, you know, I really think it's that close. And I think to your point, it's going to be, you know, who, just who has a bad day. I mean, I really think it's going to be, it's going to come down to something that, you know, kind of luck based, you know, where you don't get the right challenge, or you, you know, something doesn't go your way, you know, God forbid, a, a break, you know, I think about your mega city challenge, you know, if, maybe, if you, build, maybe come, you build a bake sale, and then it's just toodaloo, you know, that can happen. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, but Tyler, you know, who are you rooting for then? I think the top three, if I had to to say now, I think it's going to be uh, Mark and Steven, David and Richard, and Zach and Wayne. I think those are our three most well-rounded teams because uh, all these challenges that they're throwing at them, they're trying to figure out who has the best ability to build technical things and as well as storytelling and creativity. They're trying to find that whole like trifecta package. And I think these three teams are the ones that have all of those skills and have proved it so far. And I'm Maybe we've got other teams that haven't proved it yet and they're about to, um, or, um, yeah, I think this is still anybody's game, but those are probably my top three favorites. Um, yeah. and if I had to, if I had to pick one, I'm going to pick my friends, Mark and Steven. <laughs> well, uh, listen, you're, you're loyal through and through So that that's what we like to see. But no, I mean, I think, I think you make some really excellent points. I think that, you know, when we think back to some of the earlier challenges. I think that those really played to Michelle and Natalie's strengths. You know, I'm thinking of the hero shot challenge the parade challenge, where it was really more about, 
the sculpture, about the concept, um, those sort of pieces that I think they did really well. The hat's incredible challenge, obviously. You know, to your point, Aaron, about them creating silhouettes, that's really where they stand out the most. And I think because this had that function element, that's why Michelle and Natalie struggled. You know, kind of, um, you know, on the flip side, I think Caleb and Jacob continue to build on their skills and I think even surprise themselves um, as the competition has gone on, you know, with how much that they're able to do, you know, in all the different technical elements and still bring some incredible builds. But I, but like I said, it just depends on what the challenges are. You know, like you were saying, Aaron, and and one bad day and one good stroke of luck. I, I really could see any of these contestants going really far. But mm-hmm. let's talk then about most specifically what's coming in the next episode, because I feel like this one feels very different than what we've ever seen you know, on the show, but also very different than this season. And so, it, you know, from what I could tell, they're going to have to build a creature that lives on land or sea. And Evil Will is back from season one, and he's going to split your teams up. So normally while you get to work hand in hand, um, one will build something by la- the, the by land build, and one will do the by sea build. And they're physically separated by this giant wall splitting the room. I guess, Aaron, you know, if this was you and Christian, and you knew that you were going to have to split up for this, at least this part of the challenge, you know, you know, what do you think? You know, I mean, is, is that something oh. that excites you or scares oh, you? Oh, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I already know Christian's <laughs> going to build a shark, whether he's on land or on sea, he's going to make Fair. a shark happen. Um, <laughs> I'm, I love this. I think this is going to be so exciting. And this is, this is interesting because it might be that um, differentiating factor. I mean, Tyler brings up the fact that you have to be an incredibly well-rounded team to make it through this competition. And in this case, you have to prove that both members of your team are incredibly well-rounded and that both members of your team are up to whatever level of building. I mean, I know for Tyler and Amy, you know, Tyler is the one who has decades of building experience and Amy really came on board with the whole Lego thing pretty much right before the show. Obviously that worked out great for them, uh, in our in our season, but a challenge like this, it might have been trickier for that that coupling, is in, you know, to to live up to the same standard on both sides of that wall. Well, for sure. Um, and this is a test that we never had to face. Um, so I'm interested to find out, you know, it, it selfishly and kind of gleefully <laughs> to find out who really is the master builder from each team. If there's only one, or if they're both good. I mean, I'm excited. I'm sure everyone's going to bring a lot of imagination and. Um, skill and and unexpected stuff what really is going to be exciting for me is when they have to marry those two creatures together in the the twist and let, it's like you mentioned michael i mean there hasn't really been a twist this whole season which is they're they're due they're long due for a twist <laughs> yeah so this is like the twistiest episode yet but i guess you know speak to what aaron was saying tyler in terms of you know what it would it be like to be separated from your partner you're used to working hand in hand in every single challenge you know, whereas this one at this point, especially during that first, likely the first phase of this, you don't even know you're going to ever come back together. Yeah. So like one of the things that's great about having a teammate is that you can lean on each other's strengths and, um, you know, bolster their weaknesses or whatever. And this seems like a scenario where you don't have that. Uh, You can't necessarily ask your partner for advice or like, hey, what what do you think we should do? And, you know, (laughs) you can't work on you can't collaborate as well. Um, so I also think it's going to come down to how well, you know, these teams know their partner and if they're trying to predict what their partner is going to build. Um, like Aaron mentioned, he knows that Christian would have built a shark. Uh, you know, I, so it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of predict what their their teammate is going to do. Uh, yeah. So it'll, it's, I think it's really interesting. It, this almost reminds me a, a, very little about the the storybook challenge just in the level of kind of absurdity. Uh, I think this is going to be kind of in that vein 
where there, it's not going to necessarily be very technical, um, but there's going to be just kind of an absurd storytelling level where they have to marry these two together. And I, I think that'll be really interesting to see how they do that. Yeah. Well, I feel like, Aaron, I feel like in our postseason interview, we were talking about this. And during that storybook challenge, I think you had mentioned like there's no reference. So you can't like look at a picture of a horse to know how to build that like gymnastics unicorn that you had to build in that challenge. So like, I think that's the other piece that sort of comes to mind here is, you know, I, you know, maybe Christian wants to build a shark, but like, what are the proportions of a shark? What does a shark even look like when I've been locked, you know, away during quarantine, you know, from, from everything. Sure. So, you know, I'm curious to, to get your perspective on that piece of it too. It's interesting. I have uh, I have, you know, private students I teach and some of them I've been working on creature building with them. And I talk a lot about the icon the iconography of animals um, and how, like I mentioned earlier, you can get away with a lot if you nail certain things about the creature. Like if you're building a tiger, if it's orange and has black and white stripes, you will know it's a tiger, even <laughs> if it is, you know, shaped like a cube and has a tail that's twice as long as its body and its ears are facing the wrong direction. You're still going to know that it's a tiger because the coloration and the pattern is what makes the tiger the tiger. If you're building a giraffe, it better have a long neck. If you're building an octopus, I don't even care what the body looks like as long as it has eight tentacles. So I think the teams <laughs> that are successful, the builders who are successful, like I should, I should say, should say, because they're all working individually, they're going to choose animals where the iconography is very forgiving and recognizable. Um, you know, if I was doing a shark, it'd be like, better have a fin here, tail facing up and down and a big thing of teeth, and it'll look like a shark, whether or not it's the right length, whether or not it has the right number of other fins or is the right color. Um, I think, I think, uh, actually, well, color is a really easy way to help yourself out here. If you choose the right colors, that'll, that'll be a big, big assistance to you, right? If I'm making a, uh, a lion and I'm building it in green, I'm going to have to really make that look like a lion for people to even get <laughs> that it's a lion, uh, versus some other fantasy creature. So I think, um, I hope, and I think that teams who are successful will pick animals with strong color stories and really easy to build recognizable features. Versus something like, I don't know, a, uh, I feel like a wolf would be really hard or a, you know, um, uh, yeah, like a buffalo, something that's a all buffalo around. would be really hard to not make it look like a moose or a deer or a elephant or whatever. Yeah. There's some animals that we just, we just get right away. And if they're smart, they'll pick those animals, not, not the middle area trickier ones <laughs> yeah you don't want any gray area when it comes to these sort of things um which is maybe why you don't want to pick the shark because it would be gray um or you know some other Amy hates gray so don't do the shark christian just don't do it exactly exactly i mean i think between brian and lauren's build this season and i remember i always i'll always remember boone and mark's parking lot i feel like you you, you can't even pick up gray you know like don't don't even bother they shouldn't uh, even no. put it in the brick pit it's illegal <laughs> Well, it sort of feels like, honestly, like um, such a, cr a crutch for the mock builder, you know, like, so if you're, you know, coming from the, the adult fan community, I think everyone builds castles and, 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 and similar things like that, rock work, you know, nature scenes. And so I sort of feel like that's like a, maybe that's like a crutch. Like we all know how to do that. I, I say we, I don't know how to build like these people, but um, you know, like, I feel like that's a, one of the things that you see at conventions a lot is, you know, dark gray, those sort of things. So to your point, maybe they should take it out of the brick pits so that nobody's um, <laughs> using it as a crutch. <laughs> but Tyler, the last piece of this challenge that we saw is that they're going to then have a twist. Like we said, Aaron, finally a twist. They're going to have to combine the land and sea creatures together into a land sea hybrid. So maybe talk to us about, like you were saying, the storybook challenge, you know, when you're given some of these nonsensical things, you know, how do you just lean in? 
Yeah, you just kind of have to, at least with the storybook challenge, you know, we kind of are already in the mindset of a kid, but leaning into the playfulness of these characters or creatures or whatever you're making, I think is going to be really advantageous to the teams to to really capitalize on fun, have fun yeah. with it, playful and not try and overthink it. Uh, some of the times, uh, some of the simplest things uh, are probably going to serve the best in uh, in this upcoming challenge. Yeah, well, I think you make a good point. Like the more fun you have, probably the the cooler your creature probably looks at the end anyway. Um, so you're probably going to get rewarded for it. The one thing I'm thinking about, maybe more mechanically, is you know, like we were talking about, do do you do brick building? Do you do studs out? Like for this challenge, you know, what if one person studs out, one person's you know top down. You know, can we marry these as easily together or as quickly as we might need to if the style of building was very different? Um, you know, I feel like that could be the fun challenge, too. Any final thoughts, Aaron, then on next week's challenge? I'm excited to see what happens. Um, it's going to be a beautiful mess, and I am really <laughs> thrilled to see how it all shakes out. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next. That's another exciting thing about this season. The teams are all so well balanced. I really don't know what's coming, which is uh, thrilling. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, well. We've reached the end of our ep- our episode. This was so much fun. Aaron, it was great to have you on for your first podcast. Hopefully it won't be your last, but why don't you tell everyone where they can find you after the podcast if they want to you know, keep in touch with what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. You can find my work um, on social media like Instagram with the handle at Aaron Brick Designer, uh, or you can visit my full portfolio blog store at AaronBrickDesigner.com. Perfect. And Tyler, I know you were on last week, but we got to tell them where they can find you too. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram at Tyler Builds and my website, tylerkleitz.com. Amazing. Well, thanks to you both. Um, you know, luckily our podcast did not need a puppet, you know, assistant to make it happen. You know, we could do it on our own, just us humans. Um, but thanks again. This was such a fun podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Love discussing it. Cheers. What a fun episode to break down. And it was so much fun to get to talk to Aaron and of course, Tyler again on another episode breakdown. Don't forget to stay tuned to this podcast feed and subscribe because my next podcast will be my exit interview with Brian and Lauren. And of course, I'll be back next week with another panel of guests to break down episode nine. So if you want to follow along with the podcast, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to it now. And if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review as it really helps others find the podcast. If you want even more Lego content, be sure to check out my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks, where I cover the Lego news for the week every Saturday. And you can follow the channel on all social media platforms with the username at Talk Bricks. And if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, it's Talk Bricks Masters. And on Twitter, it's TB Masters. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>